you're able to stand, please stand with us for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 10. We're going to begin reading in verse 46. Verse 46. And they came to Jericho. We've been talking about this journey of Jesus making his way toward Jerusalem. Verse 46. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still. Things are about to get better for Bartimaeus. And commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man and saying unto him, Be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I, may, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. We're going to look at this passage today. Blind Bartimaeus. You may be seated. We've talked about this uh, journey toward Jerusalem and how he, Jesus had been as far north as Caesarea Philippi and traveling down and then over on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And at some time he crossed back over across the Jordan River to the west to Judea. And he's making his way toward Jerusalem. Verse 46 says, as he went out of Jericho. So he's traveling from the east to the west. He's gone through the city. He's just passed through the city of Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. We have a few maps I'd like for us to look at, just kind of give you a little geography lesson today. Here's a map that just shows, if, uh, if you see right in the middle, Jericho, it's in red, and uh, that's just where Jesus is going or, and traveling toward Jerusalem, Jer Jericho to Jerusalem, about 15 to 18 miles. But let's get a better picture of the, of the landscape. This is a kind of an artist's rendition of what the road looks like. If you see on the right side of your map, Jericho's down in that Jordan River Valley. You can actually see the Jordan River to the right and upwards as it come out of the Sea of Galilee, making its way down to the Dead Sea. And so from Jericho, this is the, the Jericho Road, the road that would go from, from, uh, from Jericho to Jerusalem. Here's an old picture of a couple of people traveling that road. And then one final picture, a more modern picture, and you see the terrain, you see what it looks like. And so Jerusalem is only 15 to 18 miles away, but it's not a leisurely walk. It's not like riding the Katy Trail. It's up and down and curving. And, and there's a great 
crowd of people, it says in verse 46, as they went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people. When Matthew records this same event, Matthew called it a great multitude, same meaning crowd of people, large number of people. They're traveling along out of Jericho and all these people, when the Bible uses multitude, it often speaks of thousands. So we don't know if it was hundreds, we don't know if it was thousands, but it was a large number of people and they're heading on that rough road that we're looking at going toward Jerusalem. And there we meet Bartimaeus in verse 46. It says, Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. So on this crowded road, not always crowded, but crowded today, because Jesus is traveling that road, because the people who are following Jesus are traveling that road, because everyone going into Jerusalem, because of the time of the Passover, is traveling that road. People from up in Galilee, as we've said before, normally wouldn't travel through Samaria because of the, these different kinds of prejudice that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. They would go to the east side of the Jordan River, come back from Jericho, go west. Just many, many people, probably in the thousands. And there among that group of people is a blind man sitting alone by the side of the road. The Bible says by the highway side. We know two things at this moment about Bartimaeus. First of all, as I said, he's blind sitting there in a world of darkness, but he was also a beggar, sitting there hoping for a donation, hoping that someone would have compassion, would give him money. You know, we can only imagine, and I do imagine, the world that he lived in, darkness, poverty, dependence on others to get him anywhere in life really hopeless and helpless but this day would bring a difference in Barnabas' life and sitting there according to the Bible this is not our imagination now this is the Bible speaking sitting there he begins to hear this unusual commotion you can imagine if you sat on a gravel road by yourself you would be familiar, if you did this day after day after day, he, I'm sure he did, you'd be familiar with the sound of maybe an ox cart going by, maybe a family going by, but this is different. His eyes are blind. He hears the commotion that is going by. It's unusual. It's unique. It doesn't tell us this, this detail here in Mark, but Luke records this, and I want to read this from the Gospel of Luke. Hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. Didn't say who he asked. But a blind man begins to cry out and say, what is going on? What does this mean? All these people, sounds like a stampede. What is going on? And verse 47 says, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, someone told him, Jesus is passing by. Jesus of Nazareth. Now that's all they said. Jesus of Nazareth. But when he heard that it was Jesus, in verse 47 it says, that he began 
to cry out. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. Now, the word cry there is an interesting word. It doesn't mean to sob. It doesn't mean, you know, to shed tears. It means to shout, to scream. He began to cry out. I'm tempted to demonstrate for you what it means to cry out. But with this sound system around my neck, it would probably blow your hearing aids out. But he began to cry out. And why? We ask the question why. I ask the question why. Why? When, when he's asking, this blind man is hearing this commotion and hearing this crowd. And, and he says, what in the world is happening? And they said, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Why did he cry out? And the answer is not stated here, but it's obvious. He knew about Jesus. He had heard of Jesus. No doubt he had heard of the miracles that Jesus was famous for. He knew who Jesus was. And so without, without any other provocation, he just said in verse 47, crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now there's a lot in that. First of all, he knew who Jesus was. Uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when I read things, I think about it. I think about what it must have been like. You got Jesus and his 12 and all these other people, lots of them. Nobody else was noticing this man. How could you notice him? And yet when he begins to cry out, it's not like it's, not like it's sitting in here. If someone were to stand up here in this auditorium and cry out, other than me, of course, it would be unusual. It would be heard. It would be noticeable. But this is, this is like being at the state fair or, you know, being at some uh, protest. All these people, all this noise, and he begins to cry out. What a scene. He says, first of all, Bartimaeus does, he says, when he cries out, he cries out, Jesus. Now that word, we're so familiar with it in the Spanish, they use it a lot. A lot of people call it Jesus. But the name means Jehovah is salvation. He cries out to the Savior. But then he says this in verse 47, Thou son of David. Now that again, for us we read that and we wonder the significance of it. But, but that term, son of David, had to do with the fact that Jesus was in reality the promised Messiah. The descendant that would come through the lineage of David. He cried out to the Savior who he knew to be the Messiah. A little later on in the, in the passage, he calls him Lord. Down in verse 51, we'll get to that in a moment. But the blind man said unto him, Lord. Both Matthew, Mark, and Luke who record this all make that important statement that he was Lord. He knew he was not in the presence of anyone other than the Lord. This blind man, a beggar is in the presence of the Lord. And he cries out in verse 47, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. What a beautiful word, mercy. He knew that Jesus was compassionate. He knew that Jesus was caring. He asked him, Jesus, have mercy on me. Show pity to me. He's not next to Jesus. 
He, he can't reach out and touch him. He doesn't even know where Jesus is. Thousands of people. He's crying out, would you have pity on me? Would you have mercy on me? Would you have compassion on me? Now what would cause a person like Barnabas to have such a reaction? And I'm very confident I'm correct in this assumption. He was a desperate man. He was a desperate man. I mean... To our knowledge, we, we may be mistaken about this, but to our knowledge, this man has lived in this world of darkness. Blind and beggarly. Probably assuming that nothing will ever change that. But in this moment of time, somewhere out there in this crowd is the only person who could fix what's wrong with me. And he's desperate for this moment. Without embarrassment, without shame, without fear of being accepted or rejected, he just cries out, this blind, poor, hopeless man. He was desperate. Please bear with me a little bit today as I make a few applications as we move along. But When I look at him, and, and maybe you've seen this, uh, but maybe you haven't, but my wife and I have seen this in various countries, not once or twice or a dozen times. We've seen people sitting just like this, begging a little, a little can or something to catch the coins that people might drop in there, sometimes without limbs. I've seen them sitting there with, without any legs, just sitting there, hopeless, helpless, dependent, that's the way Barnabas was. Please stay with me. But he had something going for him. And you know what he had going for him, young person? He knew how much he needed help. He understood how much, how desperately he needed the Lord. And he was humble. He lived in a world of darkness, but he wanted to see when I, when I think about this, I think about people in that crowd. We don't know how many, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in that crowd who also needed the Lord, but they didn't care. They weren't concerned about it. But he had an edge on them. This blind beggar had the edge on them because he knew he didn't need help. I wonder how many people we know I wonder how many people that are in the room today that desperately need the Lord but are relatively unconcerned about it. Not desperate enough. You know what? We have to be willing to admit our need. That's what keeps some people from coming to the Lord. They won't, they won't admit they have a need. They're cool. They've got it together. They'll manage in life. You know, it requires a measure of humility to say, I need help. I need help in my life. Barnabas knew he needed help. Barnabas admitted he needed help. You know, one thing the devil does not want us to see and does not want others to see, and that's how desperately we need a relationship with God. 
You know, religion does not intimidate the devil. Lots and lots and lots and lots of people are religious. As long as we don't get serious about the fact that we want a meaningful relationship with God. Aren't you glad for the day if you're saved? Aren't you glad for the day that by the grace of God you got serious about your relationship with God? We don't do this often, but we've done it a number of times. This week was one of them. My wife and I had one of these very serious stroll down memory lane. It's painful for both of us when we do it. We remember the lives that we once lived. It's been a long time ago, but it's as real as if it was yesterday. But one day, by the grace of God, I came to an awareness that I needed help. And that help that I needed, no mortal could provide. It took the Lord to change our lives. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there, young person, when there's nothing else in the world that mattered to you but your relationship with God? I've got to be right with God. You know, needs, and I'm not off chasing a rabbit. I'm where I think we need to be. Needs play a crucial role in our lives. Barnabas was a blind beggar sitting on the roadside begging for a handout. He was a broken man, but he is crying out for help. Not only is he crying out, he wouldn't stop. Look in verse 48, it says, and many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. He wouldn't be stopped. He didn't care what anybody thought. He didn't care what it looked like. He would not be stopped. The Bible says in verse 48 there, many, many people, it wasn't just one person said, hush up, blind man. Many people said, be quiet. Leave him alone. You're not important enough to him. Stay where you are. Don't make a scene. But he would not be deterred by what other people said. It's a lesson for us. There will always be things. Listen, young person. There will always be things that stand in the way of you really getting serious about getting to Jesus. It may be the busyness of our schedule. It may be just distractions of people around us. It may be our friends. What will my friends think? They may make fun of me. It may be fears and questions. What if I really get right with God? What's that going to mean? Didn't matter to Bartimaeus. Shouldn't matter to us. I personally doubt that Bartimaeus knew this. But whether he knew it or not, this would be his only chance to get to Jesus. Think about that. You know, there's something about faith, real faith. Faith understands that opportunities can be lost. It's a foolish man, it's a foolish woman who 
assumes there will always be another opportunity. There will always be another day. There will always be another sermon. There will always be another time. But for Barnabas, this was it. This was a divine opportunity. Jesus would never travel this road again. If Jesus got by him and went on to Jerusalem, tomorrow Barnabas would be in that same place, but Jesus wouldn't be there. How foolish. Would you think about this today? Young person, think about it. If you were blind, if you were a beggar, and you had an opportunity, how foolish would it be to say, I'm going to let this opportunity get away from me? That's ridiculous. So he would not be denied a lesson for us all. Whatever stands in the way, whatever hinders us from getting right with God, whatever it is, push through it and get to Jesus Christ. You know, there ought to be a sense of desperation in all of us for the Lord to work in our lives. I was on the phone uh, this week with a longtime friend of mine who's he's not a preacher, but he's a member of a Baptist church that I've been to many times over the years. And he's a very godly man, faithful servant in his church. We were just talking, and anytime you have a conversation, it starts with COVID-19 or corona or mask or something like that. You know what I'm saying? But he was talking to me about the, that's not the reason I called him, but he was talking about the unusual times that we're in. And his firm belief that the coming of the Lord is drawing nigh. Now here's what made the conversation unique. I could tell that his words were not just empty words. He was sincere about it. He, he felt like this was all leading us in a place. Like, like there's some urgency that we understand the moment we live in. And I just want to say that there ought to be an urgency in our lives. An urgency in our lives about seeking the Lord. About serving the Lord about reaching people with the gospel, there ought to be an urgency, not just talking about it, not just know it's true, but serious about it. Barnabas was urgent. He was desperate. The good news is that his cries were heard. In verse 49, I emphasized this when we read through it earlier, but let's look at it again together. Verse 49, And Jesus stood still, Jesus stopped what he was doing. What that tells me is that faith, real faith, gets God's attention. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Faith gets his attention. And in this loud crowded scene <laughs> this, this blind man's voice was heard and it says in verse 49 they, they, they call the blind man probably the same people has been saying hush up same people that said leave him alone same people saying he's too busy for you 
Now they call the blind man, saying unto him, this is what they said to him, really three things, and I'm not going to break it all down, but just three things. Be of good comfort. Take a deep breath, Barnabas. Be comforted. Rise. Stand on your feet. He calleth thee. Jesus is calling for you to come to him. Think about that. Imagine, we, we all have this in common, Mo, no, not all of us, but the majority of us. We, we call out to Jesus. We address Jesus. We've prayed a couple of times already in this service. Generally, we pray numerous times every day. Some people will pray numerous times, maybe every hour of some sort of prayer. Lord, help me. Help me like what Mama put on my plate. <laughs> some kind of sincere prayer but it's one thing for us to say Lord would you come help me it's another thing for Jesus to say come to me he wanted Jesus he wanted Barnabas to come to him can you can you imagine that imagine what it felt like from Barnabas when they came and said Barnabas settle down Jesus is asking for you to come to him you're talking about your blood pressure going up. Man, can you imagine? Think about that. He calleth thee. Notice in verse 49, the last word of verse 49, he calleth thee. This is not a generic call. This is not a robocall. This is not a mass mail out. It was a personal call. He wants, to, he wants you. He calleth thee. Another reminder that God deals with us personally. Especially in the matter of salvation. Nobody ever got saved because somebody else was getting saved. He calleth thee. Have you ever experienced that? Where God's working on your heart? It may have felt like a certain way. It may have not felt a certain way. I'm not going to try to tell you what it has to feel like, but you knew it was God. You knew it was God dealing with you. There's nothing like it, is there? To know that the God who knows the hairs on every person on the planet would be dealing with you personally. Don't look at that like it's something to be shunned. That's something to be desired. God was working. He calleth thee. By the way, Barnabas had a personal request. We read it a moment ago in 48, but I want to I look at again the last word of the 48th verse where, where he's crying out and he said, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't say, Lord, bless everybody in this crowd. He said, God, I need you in my life. And that's exactly how the Lord answered. Tell him I want to see him. Have, I want to see him. So in verse 51, once Barnabas has been brought to the Lord, verse 51, and Jesus answered and said unto him, this is a great question. What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? 
Tell me what you want. Tell me what you need. You know, my mind, for some reason, went to that conversation that Solomon had after he first became king, and he was visited by this messenger from heaven and said, what would you like for me to do for you? He could have said anything. What, would you, what, if, what if a messenger from heaven, would you, would you give me your thoughts for just a moment here? What if a messenger from heaven were to say to you, what would you like for me to do for you? And a person could think, well, I want a new car, or I just want a car that runs. Would you pay off my house? Would you heal this sickness that I have? Solomon said, the job, I'm paraphrasing, the job's too big for me. I'm like a child. Would you give me wisdom? Would you give me an understanding heart? And boy, I tell you, he won the prize. Because God said, I'm going to give you that, and I'm going to give you long life, and I'm going to give you wealth, and I'm going to give you a lot of stuff. What do you think about Barnabas? Young person, let's go back to you. For, what, what, if, what if you just had a blank check today, and you say, I'm going to give you anything you want. That car sounds nice, Right? You know, in my mind, and I think you would agree with this, for Barnabas, he didn't have to think twice about it. Lord, I want to see. I want to see the sun rise. I want to see the birds I hear singing. Lord, I just want to be able to see. Maybe he had a family. He couldn't even look his family in the eye. I want to be able to see. You know, this is a hard place to be. I, my, my heart goes out to Barnabas, don't you? I mean, where he's lived. It's a hard place to be. But you know what? When you ever get to the place, if you ever get to the place that the, uh, the thing that matters more to you than anything else in the world is just a relationship with God, that's a good place to be. He said, I want to be able to see in verse 51, he, in his words, Lord, that I may receive my sight. I want to be able to see. I want my life changed. I want to be different. Verse 52, and Jesus said unto him, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately, not gradually, Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Immediately, he was healed. His faith connected with Jesus and his needs were met. doesn't say this here in Mark's gospel, but in Luke's gospel, it says that he began to glorify God. Bartimaeus did, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you just glorify God? God, thank you. I can see. And it also says in Luke's gospel that those around him begin to glorify God. That's the way it ought to be. One last thought. Look in verse 52. It says, And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. 
Pretty important statement. He began to follow Jesus. Keep in mind, this blind man, beggar, incapacitated. I'm sure he couldn't travel very far. Lived in this small area. But now he's following Jesus. Keep in mind where Jesus is going. Remember the rocky roads? Remember the terrain? Didn't look like an easy place to go, but he's going to follow Jesus. I never thought about this until this morning, but it, it says, if you look in verse 52, when Jesus said to him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. You go your way. You're healed. You got what you asked for. You can see. Go thy way. But then it says he didn't go his way. He began to follow Jesus. By the way, that's the way we all ought to be going, is following Jesus. Now he's headed through this rugged terrain. We don't know how far he went, but please hear this. This is what should happen when a person meets Jesus. They want to follow Jesus. Am I adding anything to that? Am I twisting anything? No, it's just there. He wasn't following Jesus because he had to. Jesus said, go thy way. He's following Jesus because he wants to. You know why he wanted to? Because Jesus had changed his life. Jesus had done for him what nobody else could do. Jesus had radically transformed his life. What a Savior, amen? What a Savior. This is, this is the Jesus that we love. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is the Jesus that we follow. We've probably mentioned this before, but it won't hurt to repeat it. Jesus got a lot to think about right here. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows what waits for him. He knows that the one of his own twelve will betray him. He's fully aware that when the shepherd is smitten, the, the sheep will scatter, all the rest will scatter. He knows he'll be lied about. He'll know he'll be falsely accused. He knows that he will take the sins of the whole world upon his shoulders. He knows he will sweat as it were great drops of blood in Gethsemane as he agonized for us. He knows he'll feel the spikes going in his feet and his hands as they nail him to a cross. He knows in a dark, dark world that the Father will turn his back on him and he'll cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And knowing all of that, he was not oblivious to a man blind and begging on the roadside. That's Jesus. That's the Jesus of the Bible. You may be here today. You have 20-20 vision. And you have all your needs met. 
But that doesn't mean you don't need Jesus. If you're here today, listen to me today. I wish I could somehow put in a person's heart, you need something more than you need the, the acceptance of your friends. You need something more than popularity. You need something more than that job you're looking for. You need Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, he loves you. And he wants to give you mercy. And if you've ever seen yourself the way you are and seen the way he is, you'll recognize the only hope you have is his mercy, his compassion. It'd be good to pray today that God would give all of us, including those of us who are saved, a sense of desperation about our relationship with God. Not indifferent, not casual, not complacent, not, but a sense of desperation. Because when we get desperate, he hears our cry. Faith gets his attention. And I didn't emphasize this when I went through it, but I want to say this in closing. This man cried out for two reasons. I mentioned one of them. He was desperate. But here's the other reason. He cried out because he heard who it was. Wouldn't it be good for us to realize today that everybody needs to hear who he is? Who do you know that needs to hear? I know somebody that can help you. I know somebody that can change your life. That's what started my wife and I going to church. A lady by the name of Nancy Ball who sang in the choir at the church where we got saved said to her in a place of business, why don't you come to church? If you'll come to church, he'll hear something that'll help him talking about me. She heard, and I don't know how she ever did it, but she convinced me to go. And Jesus changed our life. We need to be telling people who Jesus is. Not just agreeing to it, we need to be telling people who Jesus is. Amen?